Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover on the show. You should be skeptical about what you hear on any podcast, and this one is no different. Also, I swear, when I get excited or passionate about something, the cuss words just seem to flow out, so listener discretion is advised. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami the threat. sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear. Good day, listeners. I'm Ruby, and this is episode 36 of Living Through Extinction, a short, to-the-point podcast that looks at the ways we can make things better for future generations. There is one research topic each episode, preceded by stories relating to skepticism, the environment, and wild and plant life. And following the research segment, I share something positive or a little something about me. The show has been evolving with little tweaks and adjustments lately, and I am very, very close to renting my first real mic setup, so more changes are to come. Hopefully they'll be for the better. If you have joined me before, thank you so much for returning. If this is the first time you are listening, welcome! I hope you will find the show both fun and informative. For this skeptical segment, I'd like to share an article from sciencebasedmedicine.org from January. The article concludes that all science denial comes with a form of conspiracy theory. It points out five factors that most of these denials have in common. Conspiracy theories, fake experts, cherry-picking, impossible expectations of what science can do or offer, and misrepresentation and logical fallacies. Three of these flow out from the first, which is conspiracy theories. David Gorski went over several science denial claims and the conspiracy theories connected to them in his article. I am just summarizing these with my personal perspectives added in, so I encourage you to go to sciencebasemedicine.org and read this very well-done piece for yourself. Beginning with vaccine denial. There are conspiracies that say they don't work, as well as conspiracies that say they are hiding that vaccines are harmful. Not sure who exactly they are supposed to be in these cases. We do know who they are accusing in the case of the microchip, however. One conspiracy insists that Bill Gates is using vaccines to chip and track everybody. I find this one the most ridiculous because everyone complaining about it is doing so on their phones, the most tracked devices that a person can own. Evolution denial claims that they are hiding the real evidence and creating their own, they being a secret group of atheists, biologists, and secularists. Ooh, hey, I'm two of the three. Climate science denial contains claims that they are hiding the real data and manipulating it to look like human activity has done harm. In this case, they are a group of radical environmentalists, governments, universities, and climate scientists of all fields. Holy fuck, what a collaboration. COVID-19 deniers have clung to a few conspiracies. Some believe it's a bioweapon put out by the world elites and aliens. Yes, I said aliens. Go ahead and facepalm. Others believe another they released it in order to put the world under authoritarian rule. For this one, they are a group of governments. Still others believe the death rates are being overreported. Let me explain something right now. If someone is sick, but they are getting better, or they have 10 good years ahead of them, and then they get COVID and die, 
they died from COVID. If someone who has severe asthma, but who has a long life ahead of them, gets COVID, and because of their lung issues, it hits them harder than most and they die, they died of COVID. If the COVID causes the attack that they can't survive, it's not the asthma that goes down on record because they wouldn't have had the unsurvivable attack if they had never caught COVID. So yes, it goes down as COVID as it fucking should. I'm sick of hearing shit like, oh, this person had cancer and when they died, they said it was COVID. Okay, they had cancer. What kind of cancer? Was it treatable? Did they have a, like another 10 years ahead of them? Because if so, and they got COVID and died, then yes, they died of COVID. Sorry, that one's been really pissing me off. Moving on to round earth denial. There they are all the space agencies around the world, all pilots, ship captains, every astronaut from every country and everyone who ever owned a telescope. They are all in on a conspiracy to hide the truth. And as the owner of a telescope, I guess that means me too. Medical science denial tends to be that they are hiding all the cures. Again, who the fuck are they exactly? People say it's pharmaceutical companies which are hiding it. They say things like, follow the money. But pharmaceutical companies are not the only ones researching for cures. They wouldn't have the ability to hide university research and individual researchers who would be jumping to get their discoveries known so they could accept their Nobel Prizes. There is a lot of fame and fortune in a Nobel Prize, and believe it or not, Many people who get into something like cancer research do so because they have lost someone and they want to be a part of making a difference. Good luck stopping them from getting the cure out to everyone if they discover it. Not that there even is such a thing as a cure. When discoveries are made at a university, they get attention, they bring in students, they bring in funding, which is why they are also quick to publish their findings and bring on the accolades. The discovery of any new cure for any deadly disease could set up an individual for life and could keep a university research department funded for years. They have absolutely no motivation to hide the results of their hard work. I guarantee you that anyone with a close friend or family member who is actually in one of these fields of research is not taken in by this particular conspiracy theory. I've had a personal hypothesis around this one for years. I think it's a calculated distraction. It is quite regular to see posts that they are hiding the cure, yet very rarely will we see anything related to overpricing. It's out there but is much less prevalent. Yet that's the issue that's real. That's what we should be fighting against. The pharmaceutical companies couldn't care less about the rumors that they are hiding anything because they know those aren't true, hence completely unprovable, hence they can't be hurt by them in the end. This is a case where the allowing of the false rumors to propagate seems to have overshadowed what people should really be pissed off about. The profits made by these companies is far beyond what is necessary to pay their employees well, offer good benefits, pay all the bills, and still pad the pockets of their greedy CEOs with nice annual bonuses. There should be laws about profit margins being that high on one single item, especially when that item is required for individuals to live. People shouldn't have to go bankrupt in order to keep on their medications. People shouldn't have to go off their medications in order to stay sheltered and fed. Yet this happens all the time because we allow it. Well, our governments allow it. And since we are so distracted with fake conspiracy theories, we are not forcing the government to pay attention and take action on something that they have the ability to make a change in. 
I'm willing to bet that if the majority of providers of prescription medications were forced to half all of their prices overnight, their profits would still be enough to cover everything I listed previously and more. So instead of going down a rabbit hole online about how they are hiding all of the cures, start putting that effort into learning exactly how much it costs them to produce and put out that $200 pill. Stop being distracted by the conspiracy theory and put your energy into something legit. And about that word, they. They is a term used when the person trying to convince you of something has no real sources. They are lying. They are hiding it. The accuser is the only one who can tell you the real truth. Every bit of science denial seems to have a they. Stop and think about all the people that they would have to be made up of. There are most definitely parents who have lost children to diseases in these groups, as well as researchers who got into the field because they lost a parent or spouse. And I'm sure they take great offense in your accusations. These people who have dedicated themselves to making life better for future generations are a part of this they. Do people really think out of millions of people in thousands of fields that there would never be a rogue? There would be thousands of rogues. Scientists have loved ones too. University professors have loved ones too. Researchers have loved ones too. They want these cures just as badly as we do. Just think about all the variables for a minute. My favorite quote from the article is as follows. It takes a conspiracy theory, of course, to explain why experts so overwhelmingly reject your worldview, because surely it can't be because you're just plain wrong, right? Unquote. And on that note, please be skeptical, damn it. Holy shit, y'all. There's been a pretty cool publication about acquiring hydrogen fuel from sun-caused moisture. What a time to be on this planet. First, I'd like to state this is very early stages, and as always, it's not going to be perfect. But wow, this one's a doozy. A material has been developed at Sweden's Linköping University that is going to assist in the acquiring of hydrogen from water with the use of sunlight. Hydrogen is a great energy source because it has an energy density three times that of petrol. It can be used to generate electricity for fuel cells or it can be stored in containers and moved to where it's required. Probably the best part about hydrogen is that when used to produce energy, the waste is water. These benefits have always been overridden by the fact that it's too energy intensive to produce the hydrogen. Any gains from use would be lost to production, so it's hard to defend it as good for the environment at this time. But progress is always being made in areas like this, and today we are seeing some of the results. A new method being tested produces the hydrogen by splitting water molecules with solar energy, which would not release any CO2 into the air. By cleaning up the production process, we may finally be able to benefit from use. They had a hell of a challenge for this project. The process needs a very specific type of material for it to work. And this material has to be cost efficient. It must also efficiently absorb ultraviolet radiation and visible light. It has to have the ability to create charges of absorbed radiation. And those charges have to be of a sufficient energy level to split the water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen gases. 
The name of this process is photoelectrolysis. Most materials do not have all of the necessary properties to make this division happen. The new material that is now being investigated for these uses is a cubic silicone carbide, which has been produced with extremely tiny pores. They are calling it nanoporous cubic silicone carbide. Not an inventive name, but descriptive, I guess. The pores give it a larger surface area, and the porous structure promotes the separation of the necessary charges with the required levels of energy to do the job. They have officially shown that this new material can efficiently trap and harvest ultraviolet and most of the visible sunlight, making it a prospective source of portable, renewable energy for our future. The final goal here, and it's a worthy one, is to convert solar energy into storable fuel. And now that we know it can be done, I can't wait to see how it's scaled up and eventually put into use. The findings for the study have been published in the journal ACS Nano. This bit of ocean life news isn't very new, but it's new to me. There is so much released every day that even someone who immerses themselves in the latest discoveries and research projects is going to miss stuff all the time. Hopefully this will also be new to some who are listening. Coral reefs come up regularly on both my environment and wildlife segments. Something I have not discussed is how at one time coral reefs were also made up of deep sea sponges. They formed structures in a similar way by dying, leaving their hard bits behind, new life forming over top, dying, leaving its hard bits behind, and on and on for thousands of years. They are known as glass sea sponges and use silica dissolved in seawater to make their unique skeletons. There is only one species of glass sponge we know of with the ability to form a reef because all the others are way too fragile for the thousands of years process. For ages, we assumed them to be extinct as our only study matter consisted of fossilized samples. These fossils were 100 million years old, so it was thought that they went extinct shortly after that. The information we did have told us that they were very common during the Cretaceous period over 65 million years ago. There were stories of a strange glass which would occasionally wash up on the shores of Galliano Island in the Strait of Georgia. They were small, sharp pieces that nobody was able to identify. Some people would collect them and ponder about their origins. Today, we know that these bits of glass were washing in from glass sponge reefs hidden in the depths. It turns out they were not extinct after all. In 1984, a C4 mapping expedition using sonar imaging showed mounds over huge areas of the seafloor that were expected to be flat. In 1987, similar anomalies were recorded during the survey of Queen Charlotte Sound. Finally, later that year, they were captured on film during underwater photography in Hecate Strait. In 1999, Canadian and German scientists went down into the Hecate Strait themselves to officially observe and record. So 15 years from first sign to official scientific observation. The reefs are in mounds and sheets, which are called bioherms and biostromes. And just like coral, they build up over thousands of years as the glass sponges die off. The bioworms are described as rolling hills of sponge and steep-sided six-story glass castles. Yet nobody knew they were there. Not only are they not extinct, but they are thriving off the shores of British Columbia. Apparently, once you go down there, they have formed reefs as far as the eye can see. The people who have spent their lives studying nothing but fossilized samples are thrilled. 
They refer to it as like finding a living dinosaur. Some of the reef is estimated to be 6,000 years old, and in that time, it's grown 18 meters high and is now covering 700 square kilometers in surface area. Something we thought was extinct. That's amazing. It's understandable that we haven't crossed paths with it yet, however, because it's all below 150 to 250 meters of water. It's not something that we were ever going to see when looking over the edge of a boat. The good news is that now that we know about it, there's protection. Much of this newly discovered area has legislation preventing bottom contact fishing now, which would destroy them. The ocean is still such a mystery to us. What else will the deeps reveal as we progress? Maybe more of this kind of beauty? Or maybe more things like the blobfish? Either way, I hope I'm still here for some of it. I'd like to see some depth records smashed in my lifetime, regardless of how pretty or ugly the revelations are. For today's research segment, I would like to talk about Carrington events. What they are, what they can do, and how we may avoid global chaos by being prepared for a repeat of the one which occurred in the 1800s. Carrington events are named for Richard Carrington, an astronomer who happened to be observing the sun through a telescope when the largest known of these was getting started. On first looking at the sun that day, he saw a group of enormous dark spots. As he was observing these spots, two flares of intense, bright, white light erupted from the area of the sunspots. They appeared to him as fireballs for about five minutes. What he witnessed was the release of CMEs, that's coronal mass ejections, the first of which was not felt here on Earth until more than 17 hours later. When it reached our planet, it brought with it electrified gas and subatomic particles causing a geomagnetic storm twice the size of any other solar storm in the last 500 years. It was 1859, and while it was nowhere near the infrastructure of today, they did have electric grids and telegraph communications. Telegraphs failed all over the world, but it wasn't just a matter of going offline for a while. There were several physical consequences, with sparks pouring out of telegraph machines to the point where papers in the vicinity were catching fire, and operators were receiving electrical shocks. A telegraph manager in Pittsburgh reported that the currents flowing through the wires were so strong that the platinum contacts were at risk of melting. And, get this, he said that streams of fire were pouring from the circuits. In Washington, one man witnessed another have an arc of fire jump between his head and the equipment. The victim was severely shocked, but did survive. The other visible effects were seen by looking up. Following the event, newspapers from around the world reported descriptions of their views of the sky. In some places, the color was very red. So red, in fact, that people thought there were fires burning nearby. The lucky ones got northern lights in places where people had never seen them before. There were auroras visible as far as the southern U.S., Cuba, and Jamaica. The night skies were so lit up in some places that birds woke up and started singing, and some humans even got up to get ready for work thinking the sun was coming up, before realizing the actual time and, I presume, going back to bed. And, of course, there were those claiming that this was the end of the world. But remember, I said that Richard Carrington observed two flares of intense bright white light? So a couple days later, the planet was hit with another one. Something very strange was reported from telegraphers working in Boston during this second event. They were unable to transmit or receive and thought they would just unplug the equipment and disconnect batteries to maybe avoid damages. The thing is, the equipment didn't turn off. 
In fact, they found themselves able to transmit short distances and communicated with Portland while the equipment was unplugged and the batteries were disconnected. It was running on something called the auroral current. The air was so charged with so much energy that it was powering the telegraph system. What the fuck, right? All of this was a result of an eruption of solar flares from the sun that happened to be aimed right at our planet. Solar flares are super intense, super high energy radiation bursts from the sun's surface that occur during its solar maximum. I know, what the fuck is the solar maximum? Well, our sun has a solar cycle of about 11 Earth years, though it has ranged as high as 15. During this cycle, there will be a solar minimum, where sunspots drop to their lowest numbers, and a solar maximum, where sunspots rise to their highest numbers. Sunspots are signs of activity, so the more spots, the more energy is building up. The solar maximum cycle will last for years, and then, as it cycles down, the energy will eventually be released in the form of solar flares. I admit this is super dumbed down, as I don't have the education to properly describe things like this, so I do recommend looking up solar flares at the NASA site or at the aurorazone.com. Studies have shown that our planet is hit by these more often than we once thought, but the direct full-power double strike of 1859 appears to have been the worst since it happened. In 1989, there was a nine-hour power outage at Hydro-Quebec because of high solar activity. In 2012, an actual Carrington-class superstorm just missed us, so it's been close, but a repeat has not yet occurred. This is one of those things where the people who study it are trying to get those in power to pay attention, but those in power won't care until there's actually a disaster. It's not unlike this pandemic we're in the middle of. Virologists have been warning us that it was coming for years. They all said it was not a matter of if, but a matter of when, and they knew what they were talking about because this is their field of study. Well, people who study the sun are saying the same thing today and have been for years. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. They all hoped that the close call in 2012 would wake up those in power, but no such luck. The professionals in these fields say that we are overdue for a Carrington-level event hitting the planet and we should really be listening to them. Especially since this is something that could cause extreme chaos in today's age, but is also something we totally have the technology to protect ourselves against. Yes, it won't be cheap. But imagine the costs when everything just goes down someday. The cost to set up protection is pennies compared to the costs and the lives that would be lost if we suddenly lost access to everything. Power grids, satellites, GPS systems, credit cards, bank machines, bank records, medical records, phones, gas pumps, charging stations, TV, radio, planes in the air at the time losing their navigation and communication systems. Do you know how many planes are in the air on our planet at any given time? The electromagnetic disturbances that took out the telegraph systems in the 1800s would be so much more destructive today. The kind of rebuilding that would be required would have large cities without power for up to a year. And again, we have the ability to build power grids that would be less vulnerable to this. But we don't. Those in the field are constantly observing the sun these days and watching for the next bright flash in hopes of having some warning before it reaches us. In some cases, that may just be a matter of hours, but in ideal cases, we might get a few days to prepare. The idea would be to turn off power grid stations and put satellites into sleep mode in hopes of reducing damage. Of course, you can all see what will happen, right? 
Republicans will say it's all fake and nothing is going to happen from it and there's no reason to shut anything down Then a few hours or days later the entire world will be fucked and none of them will admit they were wrong. They'll probably blame Jewish space lasers and offer thoughts and prayers. Fuck. Anyway, the only solution to avoid the disaster of a Carrington event as best as possible is to rebuild power grids and communication systems to be able to withstand a Carrington class CME. Governments around the world show little to no interest at this time. And I don't have a solution for that. How do we get it on their dockets? How do we get the right people to understand the ease in which this could be fixed now as compared to the complexity of fixing it after? I wish I did have an answer to that. On my end, all I can do is tell people I know, encourage them to tell people they know, and maybe someday enough people will know and understand that our united voices will finally be loud enough to get the governments to listen. I have as much a thing for art as I do for science, so today I would like to share an example of these passions coming together. We all know there are uncountable mediums that can be used to create art. This is a medium I had never heard of before, though microbiologists with a flair for creativity have been using it for ages. There has even been an annual contest for it since 2015. Their mediums of choice are pathogens, creating literal living pieces of art. The pieces are called agar art. I'm going to stop there for a minute. There are two ways to say the word, agar and agar. Agar is apparently the American way and it just doesn't sound natural to me, so I'm using the UK way. Agar. That one just sounds right. Anyways, moving on. The pieces are called agar art, named for a jelly-like substance obtained from seaweed. This is placed in a petri dish and bacteria of different varieties are carefully spread over it. They then go into an incubator to wait for the bacteria to feed on the agar and multiply. Apparently failures are common and it can take several tries to get the bacteria choices and patterns just right. And they have to wait days sometimes just to see if it worked or if they're going to have to start all over. Whatever you're imagining, it's way more breathtaking than that. Please take a moment to look at some of these images for yourselves. It's totally worth it. Many live bacteria have colors to them and careful placement, growth, and even layering can create the most amazing images. I'm talking intricate, beautiful pieces. There are birds, flowers, Van Gogh reproductions, and even a sketch of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. When you Google, and I hope you do, be sure to view the peacock. It's breathtaking. And the koi fish. Holy shit, it's so bright. And the blue almost looks metallic. Oh, and there's one, there was one called the Battle of Winter and Spring. This is another one well worth checking out. Please look this one up. The bacteria are layered somehow, giving a 3D-ish effect to the hair and the flowers. And oh my gosh, it's all so amazing. I am begging you, go look and be amazed. This craft completely blows my mind. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro and outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 37 of Living Through Extinction. Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas.